0: Yeah, well, let, let's dig in. Hello, everybody. I'm David Cooks, and I tell you what, we, we know that paralysis can take on many forms. It can be physical like mine. It can you can be- do
1: anything you put your mind to.
0: And what we try to do is feature stories that go from difficult places to fulfilling purpose. What seems
2: impossible.
0: By you. She's been a volleyball coach for over 20 years at Bishop Lynch High School in Dallas, Texas, where she won a number of state
1: championships.
0: Trisha Roos is an author of a book called When Wishes Change. Her story is, is just amazing.
3: My doctor had offered a blood test to find out gender pretty early on because it was kind of a new upcoming thing. And I, I'm a planner. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. I want to do the blood test. And so when I got the call about what I thought was just going to be a gender reveal and start planning some little gender parties, her voice was definitely more serious. And she let me know that um, I was indeed having my lady baby. However, um, she tested positive for trisomy 18. And at the time I heard that, I said, well, how do we fix that? I'm sure that's fine, right? Right. And I was at a work conference when I received this call a long way away from home. And she said, no, Trisha, this is fatal. Uh, typically a fatal condition. You need to get home as fast as possible.
1: Got so much to give, a lot of life to live. You must go from paralysis to purpose.
0: Get your pen and paper out. Yeah. I'm taking notes. Paralysis to purpose. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. If you're a first time listener, welcome. And I need you to share this podcast, like this podcast. And I also need you to make a comment because that way somebody else can hear it as well. I'm David Cookson. You know, I I love my job because I get to speak with some of the most intriguing and inspiring people in the world. And today is no exception. Trisha Roos is an author of a book It's called When Wishes Change. I've got my copy right here. Um, You need to read this book. That's all I'm going to tell you. We're going to talk about that book a little bit today. Uh, She's been a volleyball coach for over 20 years. Uh, She spent 16 years at Bishop Lynch High School in Dallas, Texas, where she won a number of state championships and did a three-peat, I believe, which is amazing for someone. Oh, she's letting me know. She's got four of them. (laughs) <laughs> four, in a row. four in a row, not just four of them. She's got four in a row. And for someone who's coached over 30 years in, in basketball and never got one, I know how difficult that is to get one and she's got four. So we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, she's a mother, she's a consultant. Um, and her story is, is just amazing. I, I want to read something from her book that will kind of set the tone for us today. And it says, um, In our common love for Annabelle, God changed what I knew of trust, marriage, faith, perseverance, overcoming, sports, community, obedience, humility, mystery, dot, dot, dot. Wow. I wanna first of all, just welcome you, Tricia, to the podcast.
3: Thank you, I really am excited to be here.
0: We're gonna talk about this book and your daughter um and we're we're gonna discuss so many things today because within the pages of your book, there was the tension between faith and doubt and hope and tragedy and loss and grief and lies and truths all these things. We're coming together as you uh, had to deal with the birth of your daughter Annabelle, and um, we're going to talk about that today. But before we do that, since we started off talking about athletics, <laughs> um, take us take us through a little bit about um, you, you. Just you just recently left Bishop Lynch High School in Dallas, Texas. Uh, you left the school uh, as a teacher, and you're doing different things now. why want to just tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, athletically, and also on a professional level.
3: Sure. So, um, you know, in college, I didn't feel like I had a strong calling to be a teacher in the classroom, but I knew at a very young age that I loved coaching. I loved learning about coaching. I would ask my coaches different questions about plays and like I would think about designing my own offenses, you know, for for basketball and I went to a really small town in Texas where I grew up, and I played six varsity sports as a high school athlete, <laughs> and uh, so I learned I, a on, lot. Hold on,
0: hold on a second. How, how many sports did you play? Six. <laughs> you said six. I didn't think I heard that right. I, are there six varsity sports? Oh, what is, yeah. I, what, I did you, a, what did you play?
3: <laughs> I did volleyball, basketball, um, track. I did tennis, cheerleading, and cross country, so I competed in six sports in high school.
0: That explains a little bit about, as I was reading in your book, your inability to sit still and to, and to just calm yourself. Yes, oh my it's goodness. it's impossible.
3: Uh, well, and I, you know, the way that it worked for me was that I went to Baylor University and um, I was like, I need a job, I need some extra money. And a girl in the dorm was like, oh, there's a Catholic high school in town and they actually hire Baylor students to be part-time coaches. Because private schools here can hire like outside people Mm -hmm. to coach. And so I went and there was an opening as a middle school um, volleyball and basketball coach. This was my sophomore year of college. And um, I just really bonded with the athletic director and had a very strong passion as, you know, I was 19 to coach. And so he kind of took me under his wing and said, all right, I'm going to let you do this. Well, I had really strong success coaching the middle school girls in both sports that year and then that next summer at the very last second and I don't know the details but he fired the varsity volleyball coach up at the high school after some dispute and called me up and said do you think you would be capable of coaching varsity girls in the high school and again now I'm 20 and I'm like of course I'd be happy to I'd love it and I think I've always exuded like a confidence and a maturity and so I don't know that the, the parents knew that I was barely two or three years older than their kids wow. because I even had to get trained to drive like the, the small bus <laughs> to get my kids around to different games. But I took over as a varsity head coach at a small private school my junior year and senior year. And then they hired me full time um, after I graduated from college. And I was teaching um, kind of like a business applications class cause I was a marketing business major and I loved the coaching but knew I wasn't so much into the teaching and so when I applied for the job at Bishop Lynch um, I started out in marketing and then I moved over as the director of admissions and that ended up being a really good fit because I love relationships and personable I love meeting new people it's always go 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 It's a lot of just busyness but I could also coach and do my passion but not be in the classroom and so I took over that program also very young in 2007. Um, we had a terrible season. We lost. Our record was 12 and 18. Uh, I showed up to a tournament in Austin on the wrong weekend because I was misinformed of the dates. Um, but I did a lot of growing in that one year. And then we actually won the state championship my second year uh, in 2008. And I just, at a very young age, I was like, this is, I'm going to coach this is my philosophy i'm going to stand by what i believe and what i know but at the same time i wanted to learn so much and i wanted to grow as a coach because it was a passion of mine and so from then on from 2008 to 2020 um 21 we never missed the playoffs um we made it to the final four or the final i think percent of the time um and then won four more state championships And so in the midst of all of that, like I wanted a family with my husband and we did have a son, Cameron, in 2011. So that was right before our streak started. And um, once I was so busy with work and volleyball, Cameron was just growing up before our eyes and he was a lot of work, you know, because we were both working so much and having one child was a lot. And so it wasn't until 2014 that he started asking for a sibling. And as, you know, you see in chapter one, he asked for a lady baby. Mm -hmm. Um, He couldn't say his R's very well, like (laughs) the word girl. And so he just called girls ladies, which I think is actually more appropriate. Maybe we should continue that. And um, so when he started asking for a lady baby, it just pulled at my heart and I knew that no matter how busy we were, we really wanted to have another child. And so I got pregnant. And and that's really where the book starts in my in my journey.
0: Well, let's um and, and we're gonna walk through that. I want to I wanted to begin in 2014 also from a athletic standpoint, because um what you haven't talked about yet is is the support. And you talked about growing and all the things that athletics can do. And a lot of times we talk about it from the perspective of the player. And very seldom do we get to talk about it from a coach's perspective on how it impacts us and how it builds us and how it gives us strength. And as we begin to to go down your journey here, um, we're going to to highlight some of those things. And and we're going to talk about perspective today. We're going to talk about perseverance today. And we're going to talk about partnerships because those are three pillars that I believe help anyone get from a, pl- a place of paralysis uh, to a place of purpose. And I think you've done that. And along the way, um, um, you, you found some of those things. Now, we're not going to give them everything in the book now because we need them to go buy the book. Exactly. So we're just gonna- <laughs> A little bit here, a little bit there, uh, but there is a lot in here. Mm -hmm. So your son, Cameron, um, we're going to spend some time talking about him um, because his his love for his sister, his faith as a young child um, navigating through this very difficult circumstance was very notable in the book um and i look forward to toward later on in the podcast to talk about what he's doing now as a 10 year old he was mm-hmm. 3 years old when this happened so you and your husband um uh decided to to have a child and um and it's one of the things that i think sometimes people take for granted mm-hmm. first of all they take for granted having children and then they take for granted the fact of having a healthy child right. um and y- you had cameron and now you um, we're expecting again. Let's, let's take our listeners, if you can, um, to that visit, the visit where you heard something that you weren't prepared for, and then you w- w- were beginning to deal with, uh, over the next nine months.
3: Yeah. Well, and the other thing is a lot of times, um, especially when you're in your twenties, you're really, um, you haven't figured out a lot of things about life with children involving children. And mm-hmm. so now that I'm almost 40, I know so many people in my life that dealt with infertility and infant loss and child loss and lots of pain in their journey to have children. But when I had Cameron, I was 28 and that was not even something I knew about. And so he was healthy pregnancy, easy pregnancy. I just thought that's just how it was. And it was that easy. And so, you know, four, three and a half years later, I'm pregnant again. I'm getting into my 30s. More of my friends are starting to have children. But I still had very, like, rose-colored glasses that this is going to be a breeze like last time. And after this child, we're done. We'll have our two kids and move on with life. Mm -hmm. And um, my doctor had offered a blood test to find out gender pretty early on because it was kind of a new upcoming thing. And I'm a planner, so I was like, yeah, absolutely, I want to do the blood test. And so when I got the call about what I thought was just going to be a gender reveal and start planning some little gender parties, her voice was definitely more serious, and she let me know that um, I was indeed having my lady baby. However, um, she tested positive for trisomy 18. And at the time I heard that, I said, well, how do we fix that? I'm sure that's fine, right? and I was at a work conference when I received this call a long way away from home and she said no Trisha this is fatal uh, typically a fatal condition you need to get home as fast as possible and so within a 24-hour span I get this news I'm googling everything I'm scared to death I'm praying that it's a false positive positive. and then we go to see another specialist that's more specialized in this area and he confirms the diagnosis and and very matter of fact and without hesitation recommended us to get an abortion and essentially just said just move on with your life you know mm-hmm. um get what, get this pregnancy over with and and have a healthy baby
0: wow can can you just kind of go through that's a, a that 24 hour period for for listeners who listen to our podcast for a while they know that i went from walking to not walking in a 24-hour period because of a blood vessel that erupted on my spinal cord. I was 15 years old, and so it was a little different uh, experience. Um, But for you to hear that information and and during that 24-hour span that you had a baby that, according to what the doctors were were saying, wasn't going to make it and that you weren't going to make it to full term, Mm -hmm. what were the the ups and the downs that, you know, that initial feeling, what what was that? I mean, you talked about hoping against hope. It's gotta be a false positive. It's gotta be this. When did that start to settle in? And and what were the, the emotions that that you were dealing with?
3: Well, the emotion was so much sadness and grief because um, it's essentially finding out a loss before you've had it. So I was being told that this baby had a death sentence and it's unusual to find out like you know, someone's dying in advance. I mean, sometimes, you know, if they have cancer, it's unsure or something, but it felt like everything was ripped out of me. And, and really this vision and this dream that I was like, all right, I have Cameron, I'm not going to have another baby, you know, it'll be easy. And then we're done. I'm just like, what now? And the more I researched trisomy 18, I realized that, you know, only 10% make it full term. Most of the time it's a stillbirth. Um, depending on her heart condition, which we found out she only had a two-chamber heart, um, she would only be expected to live maybe a few minutes. And there were just so many things going through my brain. And then I'm researching like, well, what if she can live longer? What kinds of surgeries would that entail? And what would our lives start to look like? You know, You just think about how the future you thought you were going to have is not so anymore. And everything around you starts to look different. And I think that we went to prayer and friends and, you know, just like a support system of really, really close people that we could, you know, talk to about it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was supposed to be at that work conference for a week. And so since I flew home early, I didn't have to report anywhere for a few days and we were able to just, you know, be um and mourn and and discuss what was going
0: wow. on wow you said you said something that was a powerful statement that you experienced loss before you even experienced the gain or you you said it something like that and i had never put it like that in my mind that you you were told that it was over before it began yeah um but you were still carrying the child um there were points in your book where um, you didn't know what your faith was going to be through this. You didn't know where you, you know. You talk about your relationship with God and where that is and what's going on, and and you, you had lots of questions and you were angry and you were mad and you. And I think that this is great because sometimes we take the human element out of our faith. Yes. Yeah. And and you are allowed, and God allowed for you to have questions and to be upset and to be angry and to cry and to love and to do all of those things. Mm. Uh, why were you so sure in spite of all the doctor's suggestions and recommendations um, that you wanted to have the full term and that you were going to birth your child? What was that? Because it's interesting against all, and you said you did all the research. Mm-hmm. You looked at everything. <laughs> you you went Google crazy, and okay. you you knew that unless you had a miracle, that they were right. What what was it that caused you to just go against that and say no? I I am having my child.
3: Well, I think my faith was number one, but along with that, I do feel like this athletics parallel my whole life was what really got me into gear because. You know, a lot of times as coaches or as teachers, we're constantly talking, we're instructing, we're telling other people what to do and how to do it, but we're not doing it ourselves. Like no one's putting us in the game and asking us to get the kill at the end of the game and, you know, get the serve. I'm telling them from the sidelines. And I saw this as a very actionable way for me to walk the talk and in any situation in coaching i you know to be honest i never wanted to be undefeated i always wa- wanted to have a loss somewhere in there or some losses early in the season because i needed the girls to know how to lose gracefully and how to fight till the end and just understand what it's like to be down you know and to fight back and i didn't want to just cream everybody and for it to be easy And, and I always told them, if we lose, if you say, can all say that you gave it your all and fought till the end, I'm going to be pleased. I'm going to be happy. You know, let's bring the best teams in the state to play. And if they beat us, they beat us as long as we go out hard. And so in this situation, I thought for me, not giving it my all Mm -hmm. and committing to the climb and to the struggle and how difficult it might be. It was a cop out. Like it wasn't, I'm telling these kids all the time, don't give up in the game. It's not over till it's over. And it's the last point of the set and the match and the whistle blows. And then they see me having the same opportunity to have that kind of decision. And they find out that I gave up. And so I did think for me, it was an opportunity to just be in action. And for everything that I had said for so many years of coaching, to implement it in my own personal life.
0: Wow. So um, we, you gave us the, the diagnosis of, of um, trisomy 18 and what that means. Um, it's 2014. You're about to go into the volleyball season. And this is the season of the three peat. You're looking to get your third consecutive championship. You talked a little bit about the impact of sports on you as a person and your drive for, or you, of, of having to walk the walk as a coach. And you're going to, Um, do what you told your players for years to do. Now you're going to do that. I want you to talk to us about that season and how that season helped you navigate through that portion of the pregnancy.
3: Yeah, oh my gosh, it was everything to me. So this, um, the diagnosis of Trisomy 18 came on July 15th and then volleyball season starts August 1st. Well, the due date was, Early January. And so volleyball season got through basically to Thanksgiving break. And so to me, it became honestly my distraction, my safe haven, my place to go and have a goal and a purpose um, and not have to worry and have so much built up anxiety all the time. Because it would be very easy if I didn't have volleyball or work or other distractions. To just sit there and worry and think about all the possible outcomes, you know, constantly. Um, And so I would definitely say that um, in those few months, I, first of all, the very beginning of the season, I had to tell the girls the super heavy news. And everybody knows the beginning of any season is when you're the most optimistic. Nobody, everybody wants to win a state championship. Everybody has goals. Everybody you know, is setting those goals and believe that they will be achieved. And then of course, as the season gets going, it, it will change. Your wishes will change inevitably for Mm -hmm. most all teams, 99% of the teams besides the one that wins. And so um, it was hard to feel like I was maybe dampering the season for these girls, especially the seniors. And, but at the same time, I couldn't not tell them and I couldn't be, a liar, and I knew that it was gonna be hard emotionally, and so I knew I had to be truthful. But what I saw come out of teenagers was just this selfless love and almost protection over me and a commitment to working their hardest in practice, not complaining, not whining about any kind of conditioning or hard practices, um not bringing in external um things like boys or friend drama or all the other things that you know teenagers deal with these days and they said early on that they were dedicating this season to my daughter and you know she didn't we didn't name her until a little bit into the season but once I had her name you know I told everybody and we addressed her by name um but then when we won the state championship I mean we engraved Annabelle's army into our state championship ring because That was the name that the kids came up for our group was Annabelle's Army. And, um, you know, winning state is hard. And I will say with the five state championships I've won and even the, the times we've been in the finals or we were close to it, there's always something. There's always maybe a more selfish player or a parent or, you know, group that's a little bit more difficult. Um,
0: Did did you say a parent?
3: (laughs) Yeah, surprising, right? A whole nother conversation I'd love to talk about, no. But um, that year, it was not like that at all. I mean, I think when people rally together for something bigger than themselves and they stop focusing on their selfish desires and they care about others more than themselves and the team more than anything, you see the best come out of everyone. And there is no doubt in my mind, you know, once that state championship game got going, we lost the first set, Um, but I still knew, I was like, we're winning this. There's no doubt that we will lose. I mean, that we won't win because um, they're so close. They're so bonded and they want this so bad for something other than themselves that it will happen. I just knew it would.
0: Mm. Something about perspective. That that can um, it drives everything in your life. When, mm-hmm. wh- how you see it changes it. And for your girls that were playing for you, um, your story and your situation change their perspective. And one of the things that I truly believe in is that um, when we begin to serve others and we and we take a take a break from our own problems and look yes, to yes. serve somebody else, it changes what we do. Um, yes, yes. This would be a great place for us to take a quick break. Um, and when we come back. You know, you won the state championship, um, but then that was over and reality kicked in. And we're going to talk about some really tough times that you had going forward, uh, but we're also going to talk about some victory that you had, too. We'll be right back right after this.
2: We hope you're enjoying Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Paralysis to Purpose for more updates. Also, check out David's website at DavidCookSpeaks.com to learn more about his mission and purchase his book, Getting Undressed, From Paralysis to Purpose.
0: Welcome back to Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. I'm David Cooks, along with our fantastic guest, Trisha Roos. I want to read something from the book. Right before we left, we talked about the fact that she had three-peated uh, in volleyball for a state championship and um, volleyball ended and the reality of her pregnancy kicked in. And I wanna read something and then we're gonna go from here. Crying dominated my morning commutes. At work, I held back the tears mostly. At night, I often cried myself to sleep. I tried to pray, to understand, to see the bigger picture and to find courage. But most often, the best I could manage was more tears. Volleyball was gone. And my swollen ankles made walking difficult. I had trouble reading through <laughs> reading through that. Volleyball is over. And, it, and for, for many people, sports is an escape. Whether it's for the players, the coach, it allows for you to get away from the reality of life and just focus on something else. Volleyball is now over, and you have visits, and you have decisions to make, and you're crying at night. Yep. Tell us um, those next steps.
3: Well, the other thing to add to this is it was going into the holiday season, and you know, holiday season is filled with fun and joy and family, and I did not have those feelings very much, and especially when I already had a little three-year- old boy. You know, you're trying so hard to put on the act of, you know, I'm so excited about Christmas, but I'm also scared to death because Christmas means I'm about to have Annabelle if I even make it that far. And I remember in particular, you know, as we got closer to Christmas, we went to mass um, at school, and you know the the readings as you get closer to Christmas are about Mary riding into town. On the donkey pregnant without knowing what was to come they didn't know where they were going to stay there was just complete uncertainty around her pregnancy about the future and the outcome of it and not that i would ever compare myself to the mother of jesus but it felt extremely similar which made it even more heavy mm. and um and you know also around the holidays You know, you have Thanksgiving break off, you have time over Christmas break. And and I think for me personally, when you're just off or you have less to do and less to focus on, the weight of the future and what was to come just flooded my mind all the time. And so we knew going into December that the fluid was building up inside of me and full term was right around Christmas, technically. And once we got to that point, we knew that it was going to be unsafe if we waited too long. So we scheduled the C-section for December 29th. Um, but I would definitely say that from volleyball season ending and ending on that, you know, that high note of a state championship and that all our dreams and goals had come true and that they did this for Annabelle, it was all these warm and fuzzy feelings. And then it just very quickly tanks, you know, and sometimes after a really high high, you get so high on the mountain and then you just (laughs) propel down to the valley because it's such a stark, you know, contrast. You go to school and I go to work, but there's no practice after school. I wasn't seeing these girls every day. Um, It just gave me more time to think and Sometimes that's not really good. But um if it wasn't for me going through that really hard time, um, you know, at the same time it, it did give me time to contemplate all the different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um and I talk a little bit in the book about visualization drills that I do with my girls. And I did a lot of that with the pregnancy, like kind of the what if scenarios. Right. And 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 that had to have a time and a place. I couldn't you know, have the volleyball season and have her the next day. I wasn't ready. My heart wasn't prepared for the different scenarios for her birth. So it was really hard, even like you reading that or me rereading that part of the book, even writing that part of the book, those emotions come back very heavily. And I just remember it like it was yesterday. But I also know that sometimes you have to go through those really hard times to really find yourself and just to
2: figure
0: out, you know, what your next step is. Mm. I, I want to talk about Cameron for a minute. Cameron was your three-year-old son at the time. He's 10 years old now. And we're mm-hmm. gonna make sure we talk about him before we finish the podcast today. Um, about his relationship um to his sister Annabelle. I, I it, it was um I don't know if it was a ray of hope or light or something, but the, but can you just share that because we because the relationship he had prior to her being born and then the relationship he has to with her now there still is this consistency could you just talk about that because for a, a 3 year old and and i don't know how much he really understood mm-hmm. but he he has some depth in what yeah. he was and what he was doing
3: yeah so cameron is a very smart child he's always been extremely gifted and I think that him going through a situation like this very young, I mean, it did bring some very big topics into his life that most three-year-olds don't have with their parents about death and eternal life and heaven and dying. But we had to talk about those with him because we not only had to prepare our own hearts for all the scenarios, we had to prepare his as well. Mm -hmm. And one thing that, you know, you've, read in the Bible is that God says to have the face like a child. And I've read it a million times, but it didn't click with me what that really meant until I went through this experience with Cameron. And so when I would explain to him what was going on, he was so excited, of course, that we were getting the lady baby that he wanted and prayed for. But I had to explain to him that we weren't sure yet if we were going to get to keep her that her heart was damaged and it only had two chambers. Like I tried to explain, like her heart was a little broken and that if she couldn't be healthy on earth, that she might have to go back to heaven for God to fix it and to be whole again. And, you know, we went through the like, well, that's not very fair. And, and I said, well, life's not fair. And there is, you know, sin in the world. And there's some really big conversations that we were having with our child. Um, But I do think that it was really black and white for him that she would either stay with us or she would have to go back to heaven. And that was just how this situation was going to be. Now, I will say when she was born, he got to meet her and hold her. I think all of a sudden he thought that was a guarantee that she's here to stay. Mm. And so we had to continue those conversations with him to understand that we still weren't sure about how long she would be with us. And, you know, the image of Cameron that I have in my head when I think about him and Annabelle is really, it's on the homepage of my website, whenwisheschange.com. And it's in the back of the book. It's the last page, like at the end. And my sister hired a photographer to come to our house when we brought Annabelle home and um, take pictures of the family. Just to make sure that we had that, you know, precious moment and we had not slept. I was actually really angry about it and did not want to participate. But as they were setting up the lighting and um, all of the pictures and everything, um, Cameron just started singing to Annabelle about how much he loved her and was holding her in his arms because we let him hold her actually in the same chair that I'm sitting in. And we got it on video. The photographer just started clicking pictures immediately when um, he saw that moment happening. And I have that picture in frames, you know, around the house. My parents have it. My sister has it. Um, it's in Cameron's room. Um, it's just really, really special because the look on his face in that moment is like the happiest a little child could ever be to be holding his baby sister and. You know, of course, it was hard walking him through the grief and trying to understand. He now has another sister. So I got pregnant again and have another little girl. Um, But Cameron, in the fact that if anyone on the street asked him how many siblings he had, he would always say two. that he has two sisters, one in earth and one in heaven. And that's really a simple answer for him. And Andy, my little one, says the same thing. She loves. If it's a new person, she'll come and whisper to me. Mommy, does does she know about my big sister? And uh, just complete strangers, she'll say, "Mom, have you have you told them at the grocery store about my big sister? Will you tell them about Annabelle?" And she gets so proud when I share about Annabelle, and when she gets to tell people that she has a big sister in heaven. And so that whole concept of having the faith of a child means so much more to me now mm. that I've witnessed.
0: The faith through their eyes. Right. Um, so, so, um, we've alluded to it. And so, so let's get to December 29th. Um, uh, when you had your C-section and, um, Annabelle lived for six days. Mm -hmm. Um, six, by the way, for those who are in numerology is the number of man and seven is God's number of completion. Um, so that's, that's an interesting thing here. Um, first of all, could you, why the name Annabelle?
3: So, okay, my third child, Andy, is actually named after a volleyball player that played for me, and we were just very close, and I just loved that girl. Um, She exuded all things, like, leader, Christian, great girl, and I just always loved the name Andy, and when I thought about that for Annabelle's name, the name Andy doesn't necessarily have meaning, you know, like, purpose and meaning, and... um. I just didn't, it didn't feel right. Like not for this child. And so, you know, everybody goes through baby books or baby lists. And in this particular situation, I was really looking for meaning in a name. And I mean, gosh, the list was so long and all these names. And for some reason, when I came across Annabelle, I, it means like gracefully beautiful. And I just thought, that a lot of people would dismiss her life and her purpose and just the fact that we're choosing to keep her. But to me, no matter what her heart is like, or her brain or her development or her physical attribute, that she is fearfully and wonderfully made and she's beautiful. And so I kind of slept on that name. And I even remember, I think, waking up and turning over to my husband, I was like, her name is Annabelle, <laughs> like we can talk about it, but, but that's I'm, pretty, good I'm pretty sure I picked this name and, um, and it just felt right. And it, you know, it's so funny. I don't know if you went through this, but even like with the book title, it's like, I went through hundreds of names and I was waiting for like a feeling of like, yes, that's the one. And I didn't get it. And I was so discouraged. And then one day my editor just stopped me and she said, that phrase you just used, I think you have your book title. And I was like, Nancy, I don't even know what I just said. What did I just say? And she said, you use the phrase when wishes change. And we both got like goosebumps and like we're almost in tears and we were like, that's the name. And that's how I felt about naming Annabelle because I just felt like that was what her name was meant to be. Hmm.
0: December 29th comes. I know you've got to be anxious, excited, all kinds of emotions. Um, And Annabelle is born, Uh, you have a scare initially, which is kind of is a foreshadowing of what the next six days were going to be. When you delivered Annabelle, uh, she wasn't breathing, Mm -hmm. Um, but then she she came to life. Um, And you experienced that frequently over the next six days. You also, you also experienced um, some areas of growth um, and feeding and other things. Um, can you walk us what walk us through just kind of what it was like to live on the edge of death, so to speak?
3: You know, we learned very quickly that we had to live in every moment for what it was and do the best that we could in that moment and do what we could to support her in that moment. And you know how you think about a day where you go through the whole day and you're like, what did I even do today? Like, you know, like nothing got done and it just like passes. Um, It's like when you're on vacation and just kind of like you lay around and nothing Mm -hmm. happened. You're not counting minutes and hours. You're just kind of letting the days go by. And in this particular situation, I mean, we were counting minutes of her life. We were counting hours of her life. And at the end of every full day, we were singing happy birthday to her because she made it um, a day longer than anyone else predicted that she could. Wow. And so, um, and even I tried in the book to like, well, and it's, and it's based on the titles of the part. But it's like all the time in the world, you know, in the pregnancy and you feel like you could be in this stage forever and it will, it's going to be a lifetime away until she comes. And then when she did, it was just a constant, like living in the moment and living minute by minute. And I am not a doctor. That is not my training and background. I was very reliant on the advice and guidance that I could get from the nurses and doctors that surrounded me, but also with my intuition and what I personally felt my daughter needed, um, you know, to survive and to be comfortable. And so there were times sometimes where I just knew that she needed something different, you know, that what was working or what we were doing wasn't working anymore. And, you know, I I allude to a nurse. I talk about a nurse that was like our angel that just came in one night as our night nurse and changed everything. And so much went right. But I think that's such a good analogy to how, we as individuals can really brighten somebody's day or change the whole mood of something just by um being kind and being caring and loving towards somebody that's going through a hard time like how much impact we can have as humans and um i felt like we did everything we could through her life to make it comfortable and the best that it could be and because of that just like what i told my athletes on the court i gave it all i mean i I didn't sleep. I didn't take care of myself for six days, but I knew that I would have the rest of my life to take care of myself, and it was my time to put my focus and attention into my daughter. And I don't have any regrets. I don't think there's anything I could look back on and be like, you know, I wish I would have done more or could have done more. Even you know, though she passed away, we knew that was inevitable, and there was no way of saving her, but. I feel like that was the life she was meant to live. And I now feel like it's such an honor that I got chosen to be her mom and have the opportunity to take care of her.
0: She wasn't supposed to live and she got six days of living. She wasn't, you weren't even supposed to make it to full term. Yes. So I add nine months onto those six days
3: mm-hmm.
0: of, of miraculous of happenings. Um, you talked about Um, the nurse that came. And there were a couple of times you had different doctors that all of a sudden showed up in your life. You seem to have had people who were assigned to your journey that came into your life at the right time to give you a boost, to give you a sense of encouragement and hope. And that's that partnership we talk about that these journeys are never meant to to be taken alone. Writing this book had to have not been easy for you. This book is extremely transparent. Mm-hmm. And um, we haven't had a chance to talk about loss today and grieving. Um, there was a time in here um, when, when you were uh, at one of your doctor's appointments and someone asked you how you were doing and and you said, fine. And you said to yourself, you were lying. Mm-hmm. How, you know, and sometimes when we deal with these things, we takes us a a while to, to come to the truth. Um, how, how did you handle the grieving afterwards? And, and when did you, you never, you never forget this and it never goes away, but when did you, um, become better at handling the loss of your daughter?
3: Well, um, I, I think that the five-year mark, um, was a hard year. And for my husband and I, so I think that every year after her death, you know, her birthday, the day that she died, the holiday season was not what I was looking forward to because I knew that those emotions were very raw and you just get very triggered. Like I remember a year ago this is where I was and what was going on, you know. Mm. Um and it was mostly that time of year that was really hard. Um around 5 years I thought things were getting a little better. Um but For some reason, a lot of grief around the whole year, not just the end of the year, the holiday season, surrounded myself and my husband. And it wasn't until then that I actually sought therapy and went to a grief counselor. And one thing I learned is, you know, I worked at a high school, right? Mm -hmm. So in the year that Annabelle um, was alive, everybody in the high school knew my story. All the parents, all the kids, all the faculty members all my players and athletes. Well, five years later, all those people are gone. Like thousands of people are now graduated. They're in college. They've moved on to a new chapter. And I felt like I was left with some pain and some grief, but a lot of people surrounding me that didn't know me before Annabelle and with Annabelle. Mm -hmm. And so there was a little bit more... Guilt if I was upset around the holidays or at different times because the person I was with was like, What's wrong with you? You know, or I felt that way.
0: Right. Right.
3: So I really had to get through that point, but I wouldn't say it was literally until this year. So her birthday just happened a month ago, really. And um, it was the first year that I didn't cry. And I went from my perspective changed. Instead of being sad over the loss, I was happy that it happened. I was happy for being chosen as her mom. I was more honored. I was happy to know where she is and what you know our journey has looked like. I'm happy that I have another child, Andy, that I probably wouldn't have had without Annabelle. And so I think it's continually a process. And you're right, like you'll never forget it. But I'm able to look on it and not be sad as much as I did
0: the last seven years. Wow. Um, I, I was trying to find a quote in a book somewhere where you mentioned, I, I remember one of the doctors said that your daughter was teaching them things that they had not learned in medical school or in life. And then mm-hmm. there was somewhere else in the book you talked about Annabelle is our daughter. She's not just, um, a hero or someone that can inspire she's our daughter and we need to make sure we remember that. And I think that's important that sometimes um, when you are a coach or you are a person of fame or, or someone that is known, people forget that you're a human. Yeah. And, the, and, and that part of you never goes away. And in fact, it shows up as soon as you leave the gym
3: mm-hmm. um,
0: and then you, then you have to deal with stuff for real. So um, what are you doing now?
3: So, um... You know, when I came up with the title of the book, it was about a year ago and all of a sudden things felt really uncomfortable in my job situation. Um, I was spending a ton of time away from home. The pandemic made things really difficult in my office and so typically we do hundreds of tours of campus during school days. I was having to do those in the evening. So I spent 40 nights away from home doing those and then we interview seven hundred applicants at night, and um and then I particularly had switched to a supervisor that was not very nice to me, and I started looking up and realizing the place that I thought I would be my entire career maybe wasn't that anymore for me wow
1: and can i can
0: I interject something right there i I went through that same thing in two thousand and sixteen. I was at my alma mater Market high school, and I thought for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. I was going
0: to retire there. I yeah. I knew it. i have been there 17 years. And all of a sudden, you look up and you're like, something's not right. And you feel that, I, I call it the winds of transition start blowing. And you start trying to figure out
3: what's what next. What is it? Yeah. Yep.
0: So, so go ahead. It Good was
3: point. so uncomfortable. And I'd been there 16 years. And I used to tell people that I would be buried in the courtyard of the school. And they'd probably find me dead at my desk. Like, you know, and... A bunch of years from now so um it was a lot of emotion and ironically i felt like god was saying i'm literally throwing your book title in your face like when wishes change and um and that's when the book you know was getting to the publisher and that's when i was introduced to speaking as an opportunity And, um, and then I've always been interested in consulting because I loved what I did, like admissions, enrollment management, brand, and there's no manual for how to do that. Everybody has all these first year teacher guide and people can major in coaching and in college. You can't do that in admissions. You're thrown in, like into the wolves (laughs) and they're like, all right, you know, good luck. By the way, we need you to keep the enrollment of the school up so that everybody keeps their jobs right. So a little, I. Little bit of pressure. Yeah, so my next book actually is about um, working in, as a professional in the admissions office and I started working with a group of consultants called the Gowan group and um, these guys are all ex like CEOs of large private schools that have extensive knowledge and background as educational consultants. And I do some also consulting on my own on the side, but I really love to learn and grow, and there's a whole nother side of educational leadership I want to learn more about wow. um so I always say I left one job for four because you know I'm still writing and I'm speaking and I'm you know um <clears throat> you know doing all kinds of other things with volleyball because I'm you know part time helping as a assistant or a club director, and then um, the consulting, but it really is all the pieces of who I am and what I love to do wrapped up into one.
0: If there's anything that loss does, it helps you to appreciate the now. Yes. And and so I I know he's 10 years old. How's he doing? Uh, is Andy doing things? What what are what are they up to?
3: So it looks really different. Um, I'm learning really fast about better time management and just educating myself on a lot of new areas. Remote, you know, working, Um, and
0: and and you've got a ten-year-old boy that plays baseball, I believe, and we haven't even talked about you. We haven't talked um, about your your husband, who is just the biggest hero in the world.
3: So you know, he was my protector in all of this, and I think that um, we grieve differently. That's another thing I think a lot of couples learn is that you experience grief very differently. As I am very transparent, there was a lot of tears. And a lot of anger and like very vast emotion and he was more even keel and like let's rationally talk about this and what this looks like financially and how this is going to play out in our lives and how we're going to prepare and how i'm going to protect everybody and so um he's still like that i mean that's his personality and when i you know go off the deep end about something he, he'll bring me back in um <laughs> Cameron's in fifth grade now and um, yeah, he plays slick baseball. He plays on two basketball teams and (laughs) as a fourth grader last year, he was the spelling bee champ of the entire school. He was the little guy that beat out the eighth grader in the 16th round. So, you know, that age of like um, development, those especially like in coaching and in school, I think 10 really, what I've noticed is it really starts to take off Mm -hmm. and their minds are just more capable of understanding more. They want to learn more. They want to know more. They want more independence, And, um, and, and also like, you know, Hey mom, who was the third president of the United States? And I don't know, that was a long time ago. And he's like, I can't believe you don't know that (laughs) he knows everything because he learned it, you know, yesterday.
1: (laughs) Um,
3: uh, but he's, you know, pretty quiet. He's, um, He's intelligent, and then my five-year-old is crazy, energetic. She wants to be a YouTube star, and oh wow, um, she's very, very good with people, speaking to people, adults. Um, you, did you say
0: a YouTube star? That's that's a whole generational concept.
3: I mean, <laughs> well, you know, she if they watch like different YouTube videos, she's able to present herself. Like she'll get my camera and say, "Hey guys." it's Andy and I'm going to teach you how to do a makeup tutorial. Um, so it, yeah, it's different and it's different raising a girl than a boy. Um, but they're, they fight like cats and dogs and then they hug and cuddle and love each other too. And every day we pray for Annabelle in heaven and they both do. And, um, I think it, You know, I used to be more sad. I'm like, I'm never going to have a family picture with all three of my children in the same picture. Um, But now I can just see that her life was meant to be what it was. And our lives, the way it played out, is meant to be how it is. And so I don't think that way anymore. It's changed a lot. Wow.
0: Well, before we sign off, um, I want to give you an opportunity. If there's one, Last phrase or thought that you would like to leave with our listeners, what would that be?
3: Well, it would definitely be allow your wishes to change. Because, um, the one thing that came to me with that book title was I didn't want this just to be a book about our story and journey. Um, I wanted it to be bigger, to where anyone that read the book could relate to having a wish or a dream that maybe they always set their sights on. Um, whether it's a, a kid and they don't get into their dream college or something or an adult that's dealing with a unexpected change or circumstance or loss and be able to see that um, there is pain and there is a lot of growth that has to occur and it's not going to be easy dealing with that change but it, there can be beauty and joy on the other side out of something that is bad and you know I started writing in November of 2019, pre-pandemic. And then I really felt as I was writing through the pandemic and knowing it would come out in the midst of a pandemic that it could relate to even more people than I ever dreamed because all of us were going through significant change and adjustment hmm. and having mental health issues and problems because of those changes and adjustments. So, um. You know, I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback and reviews, and I really believe it's a book that can impact lives and also give perspective of how loss and bad things or things happening that you don't plan for can turn into something amazing.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I believe that on the other side of every obstacle is a story, and that story is not just for you, but it's for others and to impact their lives. So that's fantastic. If people would like to get a hold of you, Um, what's the best way for them to do that?
3: Well, the book is on Amazon and anywhere else you can find books when wishes change. And then I think my website is cool because on the author page, I actually have links to behind the scenes videos, um, because actually this was our story was made into a documentary and that full documentary is on the author page. And there's also the footage of the state championship game. Um, which is, you know, two or three minutes, but it's a real story. I mean, these moments were captured on camera and on film. And then I'm also on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at When Wishes Change. That's right.
0: And your website, what's the name of the
3: website again? winwisheschange.com.
0: Well, Trisha, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join us on Paralysis to Purpose. Until next time, this is David Cooks reminding you. That your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to endure.
2: You can do anything
0: you put your mind to.
2: Thanks for tuning in to Paralysis to Purpose. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paralysis to Purpose on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. To purchase his book, visit davidcookspeaks.com. Be sure to tune in next time for more inspiring conversations with David Cooks.
1: And the first record that I did make I did a song called Father's Day. And I I noticed that a lot of the men around me really, really did a lot um, to be in the lives of their children. I had a lot of friends who were great fathers, um, who fought through a lot of obstacles to be great fathers and allow nothing to get in the way of them being fathers.
2: Next time on Paralysis to Purpose.
1: I'm really excited to have Vernon Thompson with us today. So I just felt like it was a great time for me to just do a tribute to those guys. And I recorded the song, I did the video, but I went around with the camera to all a lot of the fathers who I admire and just filmed them with their sons. I just wanted to get real moments of them with their sons. And I put the video out on Father's Day and it went viral. Oh, paralysis to purpose.